All right, everybody, we are back at it again. Welcome to the Text Lab. I am here with two of my favorite people in the world, Jake Manfredi and Hunter Ona, the one and only. Say hi, guys. What's, What's up, guys? How y'all doing? They are joining me on the pod this week. Pumped to have them here. And this is the Text Lab, where we do a deep dive every week to help you prepare for life group. Our goal is to help you make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're leading a group on your own or just trying to do some deep diving, we hope the Text Lab helps you. You have meaningful conversations about what God has said to us in his word. This week is John 11, 45 through 57. So let's get into it. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this... Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went there f- from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. All right. So much, guys, to dive into this text. Also, for you listening, Hunter just told us that he did not brush his teeth. So pray for us for the next 15 yep. minutes. Oh, you can smell it. This uh-huh. could be rough. So good. we are diving in. Story of Lazarus has just happened. That's what all of John 11, 1 through 44 was about. If you missed last week, Jesus goes to the house of Martha and Mary Lazarus. This is a family that he is really close to. Um, one of the most kind of affectionate scenes that we see in the whole book of John. Uh, Lazarus gets sick. Martha and Mary send a messenger to Jesus. And does Jesus come with the rescue party? He doesn't. He waits two days, and during that time period, Lazarus dies. But Jesus says, this is going to happen for the glory of God to be displayed. Jesus goes then to Lazarus' house, heals him from the grave, and really makes one of the biggest statements about himself in the book of John. Jesus says that I am the resurrection and I am the life. It's his seventh I am statement that he says, um, really kind of this capstone miracle that Jesus does to reveal fully that he is fully God and fully man. And so this is where we're at. Now, Jesus has just said, Lazarus, come out of the grave. I'm sure he didn't smell very good. They took off all the binding that was around him. And we're kind of looking at the aftermath of all of that. Um, And so, guys, what are some of the key themes that you see kind of right off the bat in this text? Yeah, I love seeing the effect of the story that we just read. Mm. I think the first thing I see is division. Yeah. So right off the bat, we see that Jesus brings this theme throughout the book of John. Like each miracle that we see brings this higher amplification Mm. of like uh, kind of he does a miracle. And then we see a division. People believe, and then Pharisees are like, no, we need to kill this dude. Mm -hmm. And so I think we see an all-time high here. Yep. 
Yep, it's like this whole another level now because he's raised somebody from the dead. You really, you know, you can imagine the number of retweets that Jesus would have been getting after oh, raising yeah. Lazarus. His from social the dead. is blowing. <laughs> yeah, he got he went viral, viral. Went viral overnight, yeah. overnight. And really, like, think about that for a second, though. You've got these like small communities, right? Like everybody kind of knows everything in like a small town. Mm. And so imagine a bunch of these small communities, first century world. Jesus heals somebody from the dead. They wouldn't have been talking about anything else That's right crazy. it would have been the talk of the town people would have been freaking out um division was kind of at an all-time level it's kind of like i think about android and iphone users right it's maybe not to that extent <laughs> people get pretty passionate about that division division just, right there yeah something where people are really split about jesus and john starts off you see some people believing in jesus um some people really opposing him and being against him I think we also see that that Jesus leaves no middle road. Hmm. He calls people to come and follow him. Yeah. Either people respond by believing in Jesus or they reject him. Yep. And Jesus says, come follow me. Yeah. And here we see again people following the same pattern in the book of John. Yep. Some believe in Jesus and become his disciples, while others go and they report and yep. tend to the religious leaders. Yep. Dude, it points back to the good shepherd too. Yeah. Like, I am the yep. gate. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's the only way in. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's a main theme here from the book of John. John again sounding like a broken record. Like you're either gonna be a follower of Jesus or not. There's only one gate mm. that you can enter into. I think all the way back to that same chapter where uh, Jesus says, "No, you can't be a um, disciple of Moses or and a disciple of me." Like you're either gonna put your salvation and trust in one place, either your Jewish heritage or being my disciple. He just doesn't leave people this middle road option. Hunter, what else do we see then that's kind of going on in verse 47 and verse 48, kind of about the motivation of the Jewish leaders here? Well, we see the real reason and the real motivation of the Jewish leaders that caused them to be so upset Mm. about this man, Jesus. They were concerned with losing their political authority and their power and their influence. And and honestly, I could see it with uh, at church. Uh, A bunch of our leaders here are great influencers. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of, you would say, authority and I think that some of them, if a new leader came in yeah. and they're doing the same job, but even better than them, mm. that they might feel like they're being replaced and mm. they wouldn't want to give up that position or yeah. that pride and all the attention would be off of them mm. instead of being happy that the kingdom's moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Jesus is getting his way done. Yeah. Which is a real matter in each of our hearts, right? Oh, yeah. Jealousy, pride that can kind of sneak in there. I mean, I can think of just places in my own life where I'm like... I'm jealous or prideful of somebody else doing something. And like, that's really what's going on with the leaders here. They're really, they're jealous of Jesus ministry. They're they're They have this kind of pride about their religious rule and authority. And I think it's interesting here. Really clearly we see they're mainly concerned about um, losing their Jewish state. And you really see that in verse um, 49 and 50 where Caiaphas is talking that like, you know, nothing at all is basically what he says there. And, and it's kind of this interesting passage passage because what was going on in that time was the Jewish state was allowed to operate under Roman rule. And basically, as long as they didn't cause problems, they were good. As long as um, they weren't causing all this conflict, the Romans would let them operate, but they were always at risk at losing their freedom. And so you can see their concern really from Caiaphas in 49 that if the Jewish people rally around a Messiah, there's a good chance Rome is going to come and just like squash them like a bug. Mm. And in verse 49, he says, you know nothing at all. Don't you know it's better for one man that he should die for the people rather than the whole nation should perish. And so he's really thinking about their political security here. He's 
thinking about what's going to kind of preserve the status quo of our Jewish nation. Now, what's amazing in this passage is that John does this kind of double meaning here. He goes on to say in verse 51 that, that Caiaphas didn't say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Now, this can be kind of confusing because we can kind of think, wait, is he talking about this prophecy that happened six months ago that Caiaphas did? What's going on? And John's really saying here, no, he's prophesying right now that Jesus is going to die for the nation and not only for the nation, but for the people who are scattered, the children of God scattered abroad, basically everyone who's going to come follow Jesus. And John's saying here, hey, Caiaphas, you didn't know right now in this moment that you're prophesying about Jesus, but he's not going to die in order to keep the Jewish nation continuing. He's going to die for the Jewish nation, for the people to bring salvation. It's kind of this prophecy that it's happening. Caiaphas doesn't even realize it's happening. It'd be kind of like if I had a bag of in and out right now with me and Hunter was like, man, I just really want a double cheeseburger. And I was like, bro, look what I'm holding what right now. You God's didn't plan. even know it was God's plan. <laughs> oh, and that's man. exactly what is going on here. He's prophesying. He doesn't even know it, but it's not going to be a political prophecy. It's a spiritual one. It's mm. salvation for all people. And so Right after this, Jesus' ministry starts to change. Jake, what what does Jesus kind of go and do from this point on? Dude, Jesus dips. He goes underground. So he's got like this huge following now, but he's also got people like chasing him down. You know what Mm. I mean? Trying to kill him, actively seeking to kill him. And so he goes underground. I envision it as like he dips into the wilderness. He puts his hood on. (laughs) He grows a mustache. Oh, he probably has a beard. I don't know. But like he, he goes and just gets away from society. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like, you know, when you see like someone you don't want to see in public yeah. and you can't move around. Like your teacher. Yeah. Like a teacher or that one friend from high school that you weren't really friends yeah. with, but you said <laughs> hi to in the hallways and you're like, man, I can't do that here. And you just, just like, like turn around uh, and you walk the other way. Turn around, walk the way. I feel like there's some backstory here that we'll probably have to unpack oh, after oh, recording yeah. this. I think like Frodo, Lord of the Rings, I'm hiding in the wilderness now with yeah. my cloak on. There's orcs that are trying to kill me. There's people that are trying to hunt me down. Basically, that's what's happening now. And this is a a big change textually that you see in the book of John. The first 10 chapters, even through chapter 11 with Lazarus, you see Jesus doing a lot of external ministry, very public. He's teaching, he's healing, he's um, uh, making bread for people and spreading it to over 5,000 people. It's this public ministry. And now very quickly, things are going to be behind closed doors. Jesus is going to be um, anointed in chapter 12. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. He's going to be in the upper room with his disciples for 14, 15, 16. And then really quickly here, it just pushes um, and points to the cross. And that's just because the level of conflict is so high. They're trying to get Jesus. They're actively trying to kill him now. Um, and we kind of see this just climax starting to happen in the book of John that's very quickly going to point us to the cross. The passage ends with Passover. Passover, big Jewish celebration. Everyone would have been moving into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So kind of fascinating that Jesus is now on the outskirts of Jerusalem as this is happening. And just imagine the scene ends in verse 56. Some of them are wondering, what do you think? Will he not come to the feast at all? Some people believing in Jesus, they're hoping that he delivers them politically. They're wondering, is he even going to come to the party, the Jewish Passover? Will there be a showdown between Jesus and the religious rulers? Did he really heal Lazarus? What does all of this mean? The city would have been a buzz. Um, all of Jerusalem would have been a buzz with this. And you see Jesus now basically going into hiding. The next time he appears publicly, he will be a prisoner, um, which is the 
the next time that we'll see him uh, uh, publicly appear. Um, so, guys, as we sit with this passage today, what, is, what does this mean for us? What does this just really mean for us today, Thursday, that we can live and walk in the truth of God's word? What, is, what does this mean for us? Yeah, I think for me, it's just this uh, reminder that God's will is completely sovereign. Mm-hmm. I think from my stage in life, like being a young adult, I don't know, you know, what my career is going to lead to. I don't know, like, no, sir. who I'm going to marry, you know? Like, I don't uh-uh. know any of this stuff. I'm full of uncertainty with that. And so, like, for me to read this, I'm coming at it with, like, God's will is sovereign. He's working all things for, like, the good of those who love him. And I'm holding on to that hope. Mm. I also think that this passage is showing us about humility. Mm. Are we going to give up our way? Are we going to trust our way more than Jesus, than his way? Do we want that control or, mm. or do we want that attention? Mm. And I, I kind of see it like this. Are, are we putting Jesus in the backseat of the car mm. and he doesn't really have a say? He's kind of along for the ride. Or are we putting him in the passenger seat of the car where he has a lot of say where we're going, but we're the ones driving? Or are we going to put him in the driver's seat and is yeah. he going to take over? Yeah, that's so good. The sovereignty of God that you can trust. And so because of that, you can trust in him to drive the car. He can be in the driver's seat of your life. Um, Often we don't know what God's doing, but knowing that he's sovereign, trusting him is the only way to live and walk as a follower of Jesus. I think that leads to just this real surrender of Jesus. What does it look like for us to surrender? What does it look like for us to trust in his plan? What does it look like for us to put him in a driver's seat and know that he truly is sovereign? Everybody, thanks for spending your time with us today. Our promise is that we're going to do our best to make this time valuable to you as the listener. And if this has helped you in any way, let us know. Whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, or whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. Yeah, as always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know that you are one who is sent this week. Into your group, into your family, into your Pray Watch communities, wherever God invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys. We'll catch you next time on the text line. Yeah.